We're starting a new series that is entitled Transforming Pain into Purpose, God's Divine Purpose for You. And our theme for the year is from Joel chapter 2 and verse 25, where the Lord says, I will restore you. I will restore you. And that is a promise from God about restoration, but it's also an acknowledgement from him that your story may be filled with disappointment, loss, pain. Otherwise, there's nothing to restore. And God is not the cause of those things, but he is the God who seeks to restore things to you. And the subtitle of this message today, the, the series being Transforming Pain into Purpose, is it wasn't meant to be this way. I remember uh, years ago, well, in fact, many, many years ago, when I was a Boy Scout, and uh, we were in a citywide uh, soccer tournament, and I was not the most coordinated kid in the world. Be nice to me now. I was not the most coordinated kid, but I was in the soccer team and left back, not left back in the change room, because I had a strong kick. And we, somehow we got into the final. I think the rest of the team carried me. And it came down to a penalty shootout. And they said, Sean, you take the penalty. You've got the biggest kick. And it was that moment. I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to be the one that brings the team home. The, every kid kind of imagines that moment. Your kick will bring you the victory. And so I lined it up and resolved to thump it as hard as I could, ran up to kick the ball, missed the ball, kicked the ground in front of it, and the ball didn't even make it to the goal mouth. And I just thought it wasn't meant to be this way. And I wonder if there's something in your life right now where you're thinking it just wasn't meant to be this way. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about languishing, lamenting, but then looking. That, that some of us have a languishing heart that we need to lament the pain that we're carrying. It's a biblical concept. But ultimately, we've got to look to God, look to Jesus for that transformation of pain into purpose because he's the God who says, I will restore you. As you look at your life, and I'm not talking about your Instagram life, I'm talking about what's really been going on in the last few years and particularly during the last 20 months or so when we've been caught up in this global pandemic. And I'm sure there is in the back of your mind this thought, it wasn't meant to be this way. Whatever restrictions, limitations, losses, disappointment have been in your life. And perhaps right now, without wallowing in it, you can identify with feelings of disappointment. And perhaps even for some, you've experienced in this time profound loss and carrying a lot of grief. The COVID pandemic aside, life is wonderful, but it's incredibly challenging. It's never just smooth. There's always something that goes on. And our COVID experience has just heightened any feelings of disappointment, of failure, of loss, of grief, of regret, perhaps even a betrayal, 
and exaggerated the, the sense of despondency and the pain that we carry. One of the myths that are captured by modern Christianity is this thought that if God loves you, he will never allow anything that is overwhelming to impact your circumstance, to impact your life. And it's just not reality. I'm not talking about having a defeatist approach or defeatist belief. God has called us to be overcomers. And that means you've actually got to come over something. You've got to conquer something. You've got to find victory in something. But to not acknowledge the reality of the pain, the disappointment, the regret, whatever else is going on is just delusional. And Jesus didn't promise us that. In fact, in John 16 and verse 33, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, take courage. I have overcome the world. I want you to get this. Dealing with the problems of life is a reality as a follower of Jesus. The difference is, he says, I've overcome the world. I've got a place of victory that you can aspire to, that I can bring you to as you take courage and deal with the troubles, the problems of whatever's going on in your world. You see, when sin entered God's creation through Adam and Eve, it fractured the universe. And we now live in the fallout of that. Go read Romans chapter 8 and you'll see Paul expounds on that while bringing us to a place of great victory through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the result of the fall and the fracturing of God's creation is death, decay, sickness, suffering, shame, guilt, fear, distorted thinking, spiritual blindness, the loss of divine purpose because of all those things and separation from God. And if you say separated from God, you're not in a right relationship with God. This message is for you as well because I'll give you an opportunity to take a step of faith and get reconciled to God, get right to God and get back into that place of divine purpose, the reason for which God created you. I love something that Philip Yancey said and about this whole issue of living in the fallen world. He said, quite simply, being human is hazardous to health. Quite simply, being human is hazardous to health. But only in Christ can you find comfort, first of all, but also come to that place of overcoming. In Romans 8 and verse 28 The Apostle Paul says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. I want you, he doesn't say, we hope, maybe. He says, we know something. We have a certainty. Our lives are anchored around a God who can take all the broken, damaged pieces Dare I say even the wrong choices that some of us have made along the way and weave that all together and turn it into something good. And all we need to do is be in relationship with him, to love him and say, God, I want your 
purpose in your life, in my life. His ability to transform pain into purpose is a unique thing that God brings to each of our lives. So let's talk a little bit about this languishing hearts. There's a name for that blah that some of us are feeling. It isn't burnout because we still have energy. It isn't depression, although some may be struggling with that because we don't feel totally helpless about what's going on. But somehow we just feel like, oh, I've kind of lost my joy. I feel a little bit aimless. And it turns out there's a word for that feeling. It's called languishing. Adam Grant, an organisational uh, psychologist, has written an incredible thing that I think appeared in the New York Times and has now been circulating around the world. Uh, and somebody sent me a copy of it. And he says this about this concept of languishing. He says, languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield. And it might be the dominant emotion of 2021. We are mourning the loss of normalcy, grief. I want you to catch that. It's something that you kind of just feel, especially for those of us who are still in a lockdown and some who've had extended lockdowns, that you just feel like there's nothing normal left in my life and a sense of grief. I've lost something, but I can't always define exactly what I've lost. And it's almost like we no longer feel like there's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's just grey day today. It's grey day because of this loss of purpose that we feel. I'm not surprised that God already has something to say to that, even though it's a newly defined term in terms of psychology. Because in Psalm 6 and verse 2, there's this prayer from the psalmist, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, my bones are troubled. I'm languishing, Lord. I need you to do something. I need you to heal me because this thing's got into the core of my being. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me. Heal me, O Lord. You see, languishing is not just something that's in our heads. It's kind of in our circumstances. It's a community experience that we've had going through the COVID experience. And while our world normalizes physical health challenges, it still has a kind of stigma attached to mental health challenges. Uh, and so many people are even fearful of technology. Look, I'm struggling. There are days that I'm not okay. There are, I'm doing all right, but I've still got some stuff. And then obviously for others, it's a heightened thing and there's some real issues. And I can't solve all of that today. That's not the promise. But I want to speak to it and encourage and give you a bit of direction out of God's word. By acknowledging that we're going through this, we can actually put hope back into conversations and rarely have a meaningful conversation with someone who's saying, are you okay? I love that uh, 
message. I love the, the, the phrase. I love what all of that's behind. Are you okay? Not to, oh yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. No, no, are you okay? And God is interested in you being okay. In fact, more than that, he wants to bring you from pain and transform that into incredible purpose in your life. And so we've got languishing hearts. But then we need to be bold enough to actually lament whatever we feel we've lost. Lamenting loss. Many of the Psalms are songs of lament or complaint. And we might even feel occasionally a little bit awkward about that. Oh, you know, should I be complaining? But it's actually a divine invitation that is there in the Psalms and in other passages of Scripture to lament or to make a complaint. And forgive me for the slang. We're not talking about being a whinger. We're talking about bringing our complaint, our lament to God. And these Psalms of lament are grounded in experiences of crisis, of loss, and of profound pain. They, they often express deep despair to God and look to God to change the circumstance. And as I said, these Psalms are an invitation given by God to pour out our hearts, our fears, our frustrations, our sorrows in prayer so that it will help us to trust God again in our circumstances. You see, our laments are directed to God. They're different than complaining to another person. And it's good to talk to somebody else. But I'm talking about bringing your lament, your complaint to God, to just be open, to kind of let it rip. God's not nervous. He won't fall off his throne if you bring a complaint to him. Psalm 13 is a classic psalm of lament. And I'm not going through all of that in this message But I want you to notice, he says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day, have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? I want you to get this. And we know that feeling. How much longer do I need to go through this? How long, Lord? Will I live in this place where I feel like you've forgotten me? How long will I live in this place where I feel like you're hiding from me? How long do I need to wrestle with these thoughts? I thought I dealt with them, but how long do I need to keep wrestling with them? And day after day, deal with the sense of loss and sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? See, it's a a prayer of lament that is brought before God as a complaint. God, where are you? What are you doing? I'm struggling to see you in my circumstance. And God is big enough to deal with our pain, our despair, our anger, our complaint, when sometimes others are not able to deal with it. And so to anchor this series... We want to come to something that is kind of so simple. If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you know this concept. But I find, and I'm sure you're the same, I need to be reminded of things that I know so that I start doing them again. And so we've talked about languishing hearts. We've talked about lamenting sorrow or loss. 
But now we look, need to talk about looking to Jesus, looking to God for answers. In the book of Jeremiah, there's this extraordinary promise. And if you know the historical context of the book of Jeremiah, they are living in desperate, desperate, desperate times. But in Jeremiah 31 and verse 25, God promises, for I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. I want to speak that over you in the context of God says, I'm going to restore you. I want you to hear these words again. God's promise to you. I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. And so how do we do this, this looking to Jesus through the pain, through the disappointment, through the frustration, through the blah, the gray days. Well, we need to come to God in prayer. You see, prayers of lament turn towards God when sorrow and pain tempt us to turn away from him. Uh, I want to say that again. I want you to hear that. Prayers of lament cause us to turn to God when pain and sorrow would otherwise tempt us to turn away from him. Bring your complaint to God. Bring your reality, your feelings. And it's a beginning point for that transformation where God says, I will restore you. I'm going to transform your pain into purpose. Lament talks to God about your feelings, your pain, your disappointment, whatever those emotions are. And it is a unique purpose of bringing you back where you make a choice. God, I'm going to trust you anyway. Again, out of Psalm 13, verse 5 through 6. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I want you to hear those words again. But I trust. He is in the middle of a complaint, the how long, how long, how long. And he says, but oh, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to trust, God, your unfailing love. I'm going to let my heart rejoice in your salvation. You're a deliverer. You're a God who saves. I'm going to start singing praise for God. I know you're a good God and you have been good to me. The book of Lamentations captures a, a, a few verses that many of us know, but I just want to read them again and let them speak into your circumstance. Again, it's from Jerem the prophet Jeremiah dealing with extraordinary loss and pain and the upheaval of the society as the Babylonians had swept in and taken them into captivity. He says, I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. 
There's so much in that passage, but I want you to catch this. God's compassion, God's love, God's mercy, God's strength, God's help towards you is new every morning. Every morning, God is available to help you get through that day and begin to transform your pain into purpose. So come to God in prayer. Bring your lament. Don't bottle the emotions. Don't push them down. Don't just dump them on friends, although there's something healthy in sharing what you're going through with others, but bring it to God. He can handle it. The second thing, and this can be a real challenge, is finding space to be still in his presence, to be still in his presence. I came across something that C.S. Lewis wrote, uh, and I love him between he and Philip Yancey. They're two of my favorite authors. And C.S. Lewis says, there is a sure way to promote God's absence in your life. In other words, the inability to sense his presence. And I'm not suggesting we should sense his presence every moment every, of every day in an intense way. But just, he says, there's a sure way to promote, to guarantee the sense of God's absence from your life. Avoid silence, avoid solitude, avoid any train of thought that leads off the beaten track. Concentrate on money, sex, status, health, and above all, your own grievances. Keep the radio on. We would now add TV, Instagram, Facebook. Live in the crowd and use plenty of sedation. It's as if he was speaking to us right now today about the issues within our world, our busyness, our rushing around, our desire to fill every moment of every day with some kind of entertainment rather than just allowing for solitude. I walk just about every day and sometimes with Linda, not much silence there, but we have a good time. But sometimes I just love going for a walk by myself and sometimes I listen to worship, I, I listen to an audio book or I just don't listen to anything except the creation round about me. And I just love that moment and let my mind drift. Sometimes I have to discipline to drift to things that are not helpful to me. But let it drift and I find God just begins to speak in those moments. You give him time and space and silence and solitude and God speaks. We know this, an incredible story, and you can read it for yourselves in 1 Kings 18 and 19, a story out of Elijah's life after he's confronted the prophets of Baal. And then Jezebel, the evil queen, threatens his life. And even though he's had this incredible victory and all Israel has declared the Lord, he is God, it's kind of like at the beginning of a revival. He is exhausted. He is Tired, he's disappointed that not everybody has repented. And now there's the threat against his life. And he flees out into the wilderness and goes and hides in a cave where he's languishing away, a cave of languishing, lamenting his circumstances. And God says to him, go stand outside the cave because I want to speak to you. You shouldn't be here. I've still got purpose for you. I'm going to transform your pain, your disappointment into purpose. And the Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart 
and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Came a gentle whisper. That whole issue of solitude, of silence, of presenting yourself to God, of giving him opportunity to speak. He doesn't roar at you. It's in the gentle whisper that he speaks to your languishing heart, that he speaks to your prayer of lament, that he speaks to your loss, your pain, and begins to transform it into divine purpose again. We know well, well, many of us do, Psalm 46 and verse 10, which says, Be still and know that I am God. Solitude and silence merely supply the state most conducive to attending, entertaining the still, small voice of God, said Philip Yancey. And so we need to come to God in prayer, pour out our hearts. We need to be still in his presence. But I want to conclude with this. We need to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 3, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eye on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. When you notice, fix your eye on Jesus. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I want you to notice what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says you should fix your eye on Jesus. When you can, should consider him, give time to just contemplating Christ. It's talking about all the pain that he suffered for us. Again, I want to quote something from Philip Yancey that I, I came across in listening to an audio book just this week. He says, by any measure, Jesus led a tragic life. Rumours of illegitimacy, taunts of insanity from his family, rejection by most who heard him, betrayed by friends, the savage turn of a mob against him, a series of justice-mocking trials, execution in a form reserved for slaves and violent criminals. A pitiful story, to be sure, and that is the heart of the scandal. We do not expect to pity God. We cry out, oh God, have mercy on me. God, pity me. But we have a Savior who so entered into our pain, into our suffering, into the human experience that when we look at it, hearing the words of Isaiah 53 in our hearts, echoing in our minds, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement we deserve came upon him. 
that we look at the cross, the pain, the suffering, the betrayal, the trials, and our hearts moved are moved to pity, to compassion for God, for Jesus. And in that, he says, I know the human condition. You see, a spirit, God cannot experience pain. And so he becomes fully human for a whole lot of things, but he now experiences pain and loss and betrayal and all the things we've been talking about. And he says, I did it for you so that you would know that I understand what you're going through. But in the power of the resurrection, you would know that I have a way out for you. I can bring you to a place of victory. Most of us are familiar with John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, believes in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. But we forget the preceding verse where Jesus is speaking and he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You can read the story that Jesus is referring to in Numbers 21. And Israel had been disobedient. And so fiery serpents break out amongst them. And people are shrieking in pain. Some people are dying. And God instructs Moses to get a bronze serpent, make a bronze serpent, and erect it on a pole. And it's speaking about the cross where Jesus hung on a cross for us. And the message begins to spread across the camp in this panic, in this desperation. If you look upon it, you will live. And I'm quite sure that on the way to where that bronze serpent was erected, people weren't checking Facebook or Instagram. It wasn't a casual saunter. It was a desperate rushing towards that place. It wasn't standing kind of like, now what do I do? It would have been a desperate falling to your knees and gazing upon this. Bronze serpent erected, look upon this and you will live. And when Jesus speaks, he doesn't use the word look. He uses the word believe, but he's connecting the thought. It's in our gaze upon the suffering servant, Jesus. It's in our looking upon what all he did for us and beginning to have faith rise in our soul that we begin to live. Look and live. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. You see, faith, in a sense, is a kind of gazing upon Jesus, considering him, and then his life begins to flow in and through your life. This is worship, the serious study and celebration of God's unique, exalted cure, the bloody, battered Savior on the cross. Look and live. See, the greatest act of God's love in your life, in mine, is to bring us to a point where we know we need a Savior. 